Welcome to C3 Church, Queen's Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Hey, so good that you are here with us today. Thank you for putting on the mask and coming out. There is honestly a beautiful thing in, that happens in community, in gathering. God is all about community. <clears throat> so much so he's three in one, right? He's a party within himself. And so... That highlights how much God understands the need for us being in community, for gathering. And so thank you for stepping out today in this kind of courageous, unusual season that we're in. But I reckon we're all getting pretty. We're pretty adaptable. Us Perthies, come on, we're pretty adaptable. We can do it. So I've loved this Winning the War in Your Mind series. It's been a real pleasure and joy to kind of study and deep dive personally into the book. And I know many of you have jumped on and actually grabbed the text itself as well as the other resources that are around. And as we just heard the lovely Hawks say, I've loved that we've sort of provided these complimentary resources to help us in our Monday to Saturday. And it, it honestly, it's a joy to see so many of you, over 100, joining us daily in the proverb, the wisdom of Proverbs. And it really shows that our, our community, you guys, are with us and you're taking a hold of the truth here and actually living it out in your day to day, which is beautiful. And so we've covered a, a number of things. I started week one with the replacement principle and then we've heard from Jace the last couple of weeks, particularly around the, the holy practice of digging deep into the Word of God and developing and bolstering our word life in that way. And today I'm going to round out this series, week four, here we are, and I'm really going to focus in on the reframing principle. And so this is an entire portion in the book itself, a, a good few chapters. Those of you that have got it would have recognised that it's split into four parts and the reframing principle is a key one of those parts. And so that's where we're going to land today. But right now, let's invite Holy Spirit. We want to pray over you the words of Paul from Ephesians 3. And so open your heart, close your eyes receive here this morning and I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favour until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you, good people, people of Hebron Heights, you will be empowered to discover what everyone, every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt, good people, God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, he will exceed your wildest imagination. 
He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes <coughs> you. Amen and amen. I don't really need to preach, right? I mean, that right there, that was just a smorgasbord of goodness, was it not? So let's talk today about framing. So framing is essentially how we, you, I, view the world. And what I mean by framing and what I'm meaning by the world is that is the way in which we view relationships. We view events, we view conversations, we view people. It's like the symbolic glasses that would be fogged up whilst you're wearing your mask. It's like the symbolic glasses through which you see. Frame prop. This is going to come in quite handy today. Hello. So this frame through which we view the world, through which we see the world, this can be a helpful and a positive frame. The thing is, it can also be a limiting and a detrimental and a negative frame. And all this framing, you see, is connected to our thinking. Proverbs 27.3 says, For as we think in our heart, so we are. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So the way that we think actually becomes the way that we are. So, friends, do you know what your frame is? Do you know the way that you frame things. You see, many of us have heard that kind of optimist, pessimist, realist thing. It's as old as the hills, right? I'm a glass half empty kind of girl. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Or us realists are like, we're a glass and there's liquid kind of people. <laughs> and so we've heard that before, but today I want to get a little bit more sciencey for a minute, if you'll bear with me is that there's actually a technical term for the way in which we frame things or the way in which we see things, the lens through which we look at the world. And it's what is called a cognitive bias. Now, this cognitive bias is like it's our default frame. It's the frame that we have. It's a, a leaning that we have in our thinking. Hence, cognitive bias, thinking, leaning. Now, this cognitive bias that we have or have multiple of, it's based on our personal preferences. It's based on our beliefs and experiences. And sometimes this default frame isn't particularly helpful or even realistic. Now, the thing about these cognitive biases, right, is that we're walking around and we don't even realise we have them. We don't even realise that we are looking at relationships through this cognitive bias, that we are looking at an event and an experience through a cognitive bias, that we're looking at a conversation through a cognitive bias. We don't actually even recognise that that frame is on our thinking. Kendra Cherry, who's a psychologist, author and, and someone that Grishel refers to a number of times in his book, she says, cognitive biases are inherent in the way we think and many of them are unconscious. Identifying the biases you experience and purport in your everyday interactions is the first step to understanding how men our mental processes work. 
which can then help us make better and more informed decisions. So I want to cover super quickly a number of these cognitive biases. And Grishel, in his accompanying resources in the leadership space, actually unpacks seven of them. Now, there are a number of them that exist. You can go on a Google hunt if you like. But he really unpacks and focuses on seven that Kendra Cherry also affirms. See, here are seven of these cognitive biases, seven of these frames that you, I, may have on our thinking. So, therefore, is the default way that we frame, we view, we see the world. Number one, they're going to come up on the screen, confirmation bias. So, this is when you mostly interact with people with sources that support what you already believe. So I'm going to only talk to these people, I'm only going to follow these podcasts, I'm only going to read these views because they confirm what I already believe. Hmm. Projection bias. (laughs) This is when you overestimate how others view you and assume that generally speaking most people agree with you. You are projecting yourself onto people. Oh, why have we got some laughter? I can hear it through your masks. The preference bias. When you obsess about some things because that is my preference and yet I ignore other important and critical things. If it's in line with my preference, I'm on board. If it's not in line, I'm not. The optimism bias. This may sound quite familiar. When you overestimate what's possible but underestimate the potential risk and cost. Overestimate, it's all gonna be great. We'll ignore these factors, because it's all gonna be great. Negativity bias is when you remember and obsess about what went wrong. What went wrong, the little bit of the conversation you said wrong, that awkward kind of facial expression that person gave you, but you forget about what went right. The overestimation bias, when you blame external forces for your failures or setbacks and take disproportionate credit for your successes. (laughs) Overestimating that I'm great, that it all went well because of me. (laughs) That little thing that went wrong, no, that didn't have anything to do with me. Expert bias. When you overestimate the opinions of experts and consultants, but discredit your own instincts. This is me. I'm an expert bias. I need to know what everybody says about everything. This actually connects to my Enneagram personality type as well, which is the investigator. I need to know everybody's opinion. But then sometimes I underestimate my own intuition and leadership now. Now, they're just seven of them. Now, if you find these fascinating, as I do, Pastor Claire, good stuff, I agree, and you want to go on some further discussion about it, just a hot tip, couples, good, good conversation to have with your spouse. (laughs) What bias do you think that I have, darling? Just make sure you're in a good mood. Make sure you're prepared for that conversation. And so the thing about these cognitive biases, these default frames, is that they can feel super comfy, (laughs) super familiar. 
We've actually fastened them in place, so to speaking, in our thinking. But they're actually regularly not doing us any favours. Because the thing about these cognitive biases is what they do is they lean on our own human understanding. They lean on our own human experience. And no matter how good or, or noble or intellectual that may be, our own human understanding can never trump God's wisdom, right? Proverbs, we're landing there again today. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Five to six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths, <clears throat> I like to think frames, he will make your frames straight. Some of you got that. Some of you are like, what? Word picture, M. It's getting complicated. So the point I'm making here is that we need to identify the ways we think. We need to recognise that we can't always trust the way we think. Just because it's familiar, just because it's comfortable, just because it's the way we've always thought doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. And so regularly, these cognitive leanings, these cognitive biases actually need an upgrade. They actually need a reframe. And so this is the concept that I want to bounce out of today. What is reframing in a nutshell? In a teaching nutshell, reframing is the ability to look at the same picture with a different frame. The same picture with a different perspective. Craig Rochelle himself says it like this. You can say very easily, this is going to be a hard day. I got so much to do today. I hate the people I work with. I hate my job. The very same day, you can have a bad day if you frame it the wrong way. If instead you take the exact same situation and you reframe it, you may wake up and say, oh, I've got a lot going today, but I'm so thankful my God is with me. I believe today's going to be a good day. We're going to grind it out. We're going to get a lot done. It's not the facts that change, but it's how you frame it. It's not the facts that change. It's the way you frame it. It's the way you frame it. So reframing, Grishel says, is when we decide we're not going to hang on to old perceptions that have worked against us. We're going to choose, empowered by Holy Spirit, a different, a more godly, a more productive way of thinking. This is the whole notion of reframing. Now, personal example. Last week of the holidays, I wasn't particularly nice to live with. <clears throat> I was whinging and whining a lot, right? I had to drive my three teen twins to all manner of things and I had agreed, Jason and I had agreed that I was going to share the lion's share of the domestic load to enable him to really dig into his preach. And so we made this agreement, we made this arrangement, and I wholeheartedly was on board with it. Yet this week I decided not only was I going to have the lion's share, but I was going to somehow prove that I was a superstar parent and I was going to make at least another 12 activities for my, my kids to do that week. It was really important that they all had a rich, deep social experience with, with lots of variety and lots of places to go. And so as I did all of these things, every time I entered the house and Jace was home working upstairs, you know, serving the Lord... And deep in prayer, I came in, 
huffing and puffing, making my presence known, just like all four-year-olds, all right? I've entered the room. I've entered the room. I'm back again from another trip. I'm back again from dropping my children off 17 times. I'm, I'm back again. Oh, no, I haven't got time to do that, darling. I've got to go out again because I've got another trip to do. La, 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 right? And uh, so Jace called me out on it. Oh, we're clapping now? We're going to clap? You're like, are we going to? He called me out on it gently and kindly, like I've given him permission to do in my life and like I have permission to do in his. Let's just get this thing clear. And Jay said to me, what are you complaining about that you've chosen? Huh. Really good question, actually. And I received that graciously. (laughs) I am a, um, in terms of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, in terms of Gottman's, I am a turn my back away person. I'm a look out the window. It's like I go into my cave. And so I dealt with that, you know, internally, very beautifully. No. So, Holy Spirit convicted me in that moment. He was like, (laughs) Jace called it out. He's like, I didn't tell you to do 12 things. You chose that. You chose that, babe. Now, why are you complaining about what you have chosen, right? This was an opportunity for me to reframe my perspective. Same picture, different perspective. Same experience, same schedule, same amount of car trips I now had to do the rest of the week, but I now could choose to see it differently. And so I could now choose, and I did, took me a little while, but I did get there, that maybe this is a great memory-making week, M. Maybe you're giving your kids a wonderful experience. Maybe you're helping build in them relationships. This is you releasing your husband to do what he's called to do and he would do the same for you. Same picture, different perspective. And as I allowed Holy Spirit to convict me and I reframed that, that in turn changed my perspective but then did what? It completely shifted my attitude completely shifted the way that I was approaching the rest of the week. And Charlotte Gamble, great speaker and preacher, I know a number of you follow her on socials, she did a message a number of years ago called Re-Entering the Room. And it's a message that really stuck with me because it's this same concept. She says, sometimes we enter a conversation, we enter a place, we enter a relationship. And sometimes we actually need to step out of that, change our perspective and re-enter the room of it. It's like we find ourselves in a room, we find ourselves in a conversation, in a relationship, in an event, but we've brought with us the wrong attitude. We've brought with us the wrong perspective. And it's so important to be able to look around and go, hold on, maybe I haven't got the right equipment with me. Maybe I haven't got the right perspective with me. What if I exit out of the room and come back in with a different attitude, a different perspective? And you see, reframing, friends, is actually the work of the disciple. Alongside Holy Spirit, God is very much in the business of reframing. Paul says it like this, Romans 12 to a scripture we've quoted a number of times in this series. 
going to read it in two translations, NIV first. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, reframing, of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Or if we read it in the Passion, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation, M's insertion, a continual reframing of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's, God's will as you live a beautiful, satisfying and perfect life in his eyes. And so reframing is only one part of this mind transformation process. You see, God wants to entirely circuit break, entirely transform our thinking. And reframing is one portion, one principle of this alongside replacing, rejoicing, rewiring, which are other key parts here that Grishel unpacks. Now, let me just add a disclaimer here. I'm not talking about reframing when it comes to trauma or tragedy. I'm not talking about reframing for those that are battling with mental health issues. I'm simply talking about reframing in the everyday, ordinary events and details, which is why I used that example from a moment ago. So as I've been sitting in this message and chewing over it, the revelation came to me, right, that the journey of the disciple is actually a journey of reframing. We're actually in a lifelong journey of reframing, or in the words of Eugene Peterson, we are in a long obedience in the same direction. And so why is that? Why are we in this reframing concept? Why do I think that that essentially is one of the key works of the disciple? It's because I think we need to continually reframe how we see God. How do you think about God? When you think of your heavenly father, what does he look like? What does he sound like? What is that frame that you have in your mind of your heavenly father? You see, if we strip it all back, if we were to sit there honestly with ourselves, is the frame that you have of God in your mind, is your default frame, God is harsh. God is distant. God is all about rules. God is only looking for my works. God actually isn't interested in me. Are they some of our default thinking patterns? Because I don't know about you, but I know my thoughts about God need continually reframing. You see, for me, that notion, that idea of God is distant is one that has carried me in some ways. And why is that? Well, it's because I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I'm not a feeler. So I don't often have the feelings of God present. And then maybe for me that that default frame of God is distant is actually wrapped up in maybe some of my religious and traditional upbringing and that kind of initial experience of God in a traditional sense has maybe made it feel like to me that sometimes he is distant. And so I can frame without realising, subconsciously, I can frame that God is distant and far away. If 
But you see, there's a key reframing thought that Holy Spirit continues to impress upon me. And that is in the parable Luke 5 in the story of the prodigal son. You see, many of us know that story, learned that story as a story about the son. Do you know what? I think perhaps more profoundly it's a story about a father. A father who sees his son when he's far off and meets him halfway on a hill. Doesn't allow him to apologise because he covers his mouth with a kiss. Doesn't allow him to apologise because he covers him with compassion and then celebrates that homecoming in the most extravagant of ways. That is the story that I need to reframe, you see. Same sense of God feeling distant, but what if him, that distance is not him being far away? What if that is him waiting for you? Same picture different perspective. He's just waiting for you, Em. He's waiting for you to get out of the pig pen of misery and whingy whiny land. He's wanting you to move from that place, take a step up, take a step of faith towards him. He's not distant from me. He's waiting for me to arrive. You see, one frame perpetuates me being stuck. One frame starts my movement in the right direction. Same picture, different perspective. And you see, that awakens hope in me. The hope of the image of my father waiting for me again to get over myself and allow his compassion and grace and love to cover me. So how do you need to reframe God? Are you stuck in a thinking pattern about him that has you limited that has you contained? How can you look at the same picture, the same God with a different perspective? Second thing that I believe is key and highlight in this reframing to all of us is that we need to continually reframe the Christian experience. When you strip it all back, when you pull back every layer of your thinking, What do you actually think the life of a Christian should be? What do you think that you signed up for? What do you think you said yes to? You see, many of us have framed the Christian experience with something that the Bible does not actually speak of. We have maybe framed the Christian experience, framed what being a disciple is as good, but not hard. Grace but not truth, all about mountains, but not valleys, some sort of magic happiness pill that walks with us all the way and yet not actually about a pilgrimage. Part of us, part of our call as pastors and leaders and why we will keep saying the same things all the time from the platform is that we are called to help us, help you reframe Part of our call as parents, dear Lord Jesus, is to help our children reframe. And scriptures, friends, are full to the brim of reframing. 
Our Bible is essentially a series of stories, a series of people who needed to reframe. Philippians 1, 12 to 14, here we've got Paul. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity and now they've learned all about him. Paul saw the same experience, the same imprisonment differently. He reframed his prison experience. Same picture, different framing. One frame could have perpetuated his being stuck, his squelching, as the message said. You are contained. You are imprisoned. Look what you don't have. That could have perpetuated his stuckness, but instead he reframed the same story, the same event, and in turn awakened faith. This is the life-shaping power of the reframe. Well, what about that lovely passage in James we all love? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James here is basically saying you need to look at trials differently, friends. You need to reframe that challenge through a frame of joy, through a lens of hope. That challenge you're in right now, that's not an indication that you're outside the goodness of God. It's an indication you're smack bang in the middle of it. Same picture, different perspective. Basically, it's painful because he loves us. It's stretching because he loves us. It's hard because we're on a pilgrimage. One frame, if we look at challenges always that way, breeds pity. Woe is me. And yet, same picture, different perspective awakens hope. Same picture, different perspective. So where to now as I round this out? Well, to quote my husband, inspiration without planned action is a fast track to frustration. <laughs> he says that regularly to me at home. <laughs> inspiration without planned action. <clears throat> so what do we do about all this reframing? I don't want to just inspire you today. I don't want to just sort of land some little truth teaching bombs on you and we all walk out. I want there to be a next step. So what can we do? What can you do this week to illuminate, to bolster, to add some action to this reframing? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so this week, coming out on our social channel, will be a next step. So I'd encourage you to check that out. But what I want to do, what I want to leave you today with is two action steps. So reframing your mind... Let's go on a treasure hunt of looking for God's goodness. You see, we can shift our perspective. We can be our own circuit breaker 
by not only recognising those default patterns, but by now shifting them to a place of gratitude. So if you are by nature a little bit more negative or a bit more limiting, a little bit more pessimistic in your viewpoint, one way that you can circuit break yourself is to go on a treasure hunt of looking for God's goodness in your life to foster gratitude, to begin with gratitude rather than seeing all that negativity that may be around, you can actually go on a treasure hunt of seeing the goodness of God. Shift the frame by looking for what is good in our lives, not just what is negative. Grishel says, like any good habit, looking for God's collateral goodness takes practice. But he then goes on to say, if you look for God's goodness, you will see it. And so I want to partner here with this idea from Steve Cuss, who's a pastor and a leader. And he's done a number of things in the, in the leadership and anxiety space. And he's come up with this whole idea of writing life-giving lists. And what these lists are is these are specific things, looking for things in your life, relationships, moments, events, ideas that pour life into you, that are the evidence of God's life around you. And it's about starting a list that is specific. And Cass asserts that if we look at those lists, if we start our day looking at all of those things, and he's got around 80 now on his life-giving list, and the idea is we start them and we add to them over our life, that it starts with a place of gratitude. It enables us to enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's looking for the beauty and life-giving smile of God in the everyday and ordinary. Here's a few of mine. My first cup of coffee in the morning. Watching my middle girl get a netball goal. The way the, ra the rain sounds on the roof. Mercy Valley cheese. Jace's fingers entwined in my own. I run when the air is so cold it takes my breath away my favourite cardigan, things that show the goodness, life-giving goodness of God in the everyday and ordinary. These can enable us to reframe our thinking that, yes, we are amidst a pandemic. Yes, we're wearing masks. Yes, we are limited. But where is the evidence of God's life in your life? In the littlest, in the smallest, in the tiniest of details, where is he smiling at you? Second thing I want to finish with today is I want to make room for the Holy Spirit. Ban, can you come? This is by no means in order of importance. So I believe we're on this lifelong journey of reframing. There are practical steps that we can take, but we can't just think our way out of poor thinking. We can't just think our way out of reframing. 
the beauty and the wonder about the Christian journey is we get to partner with Holy Spirit. Partner with Holy Spirit whose key purpose is to help, to help transform our thinking, to help shift and move and change us. And so as we round this out today, I want to surrender. I want us to surrender again to reframing. I want us to surrender again to Holy Spirit. I want us to surrender again to the goodness of God in our lives. And I want Holy Spirit to come and spotlight for you perhaps areas of your life that need a reframe, that need a shift, that, that need a change, that need a movement. So stand with me, friends. So I want you to close your eyes in this atmosphere and we're literally going to sing the song, Make Room. Make room for you, Holy Spirit. We're not going to, we're going to rush. It's going to take a few minutes to actually sing this song. And what I want you to do is I want you to open your heart. It only takes one moment, one encounter, one scripture, one conversation to help you reframe. But, but what I have the sense of is that literally... In this moment right now, Holy Spirit can illuminate maybe a relationship, maybe an event, maybe a conversation, maybe a situation that literally needs reframing. And as I was praying before I came out here before, I literally saw Holy Spirit come behind people and you're holding your frame and he wants to gently move you in a different direction. Literally seeing the same picture, but in a different way, just so how we saw how Grishel did it on the screen, just moving that frame in a slightly different direction. Not seeing something as a crisis, but maybe as an opportunity. Not seeing something as stuck, but maybe an opportunity for faith to be awakened. Not seeing something as, as being a sense of victim, but being a sense of being able to move to momentum. Not seeing a sense of God is distant, but God is waiting for you. Holy Spirit wants to move, move those frames. And then I believe He wants to fasten those frames in place. That we continually partner with Him that our thinking will be transformed, not just for a moment, but as in Philippians 4.18, it says our thoughts will be fastened. Those, those frames will be nailed in place, so to speak, that the way we saw it over there will now become a new way in which we reframe. So open your heart. And as we start to sing, ask right now, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and illuminate our thinking. Where do we need to reframe? Reframe you, God. Reframe our Christian experience. Where do we need to reframe ourselves? Re reframe that relationship gently, tenderly, graciously move our frames as we make room for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.
Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give. Thank you.